Good afternoon, this is H.T. Webster, and this is episode 11 of season one of my podcast, Shared Consequences. For all new listeners, I'll ask you to sort these in order of oldest to newest so that you can listen from the beginning to understand um, how the story unfolds. So last episode, we spoke about the John Doe's and the Chosen Ones, and... um, it's uh, late 89, I want to say, or early 88 or late 89. And for all those who've been listening, they know, you, you know that my dates get a little blurred, and, and I apologize for that. But um, I am in the middle of being sexually abused by my high school principal, along with what I believe to be at least seven or eight other boys. I am the only girl, but also listening to past episodes, you'll know that I was a very um, strong tomboy, athletic, um, sports oriented, etc. short hair, that kind of thing. So one of the things I wanna talk about tonight is that this man had a wife and two children and both of those children attended school with us. He had a daughter and a son. The daughter was my sister Nicole's age, or maybe a year younger, but very close to her age. And his son was, I believe, three years younger than me. Being that it was such a small rural town, um, obviously we all knew who each other were. My sister and his daughter, were friends, not close friends, but you know, I would definitely say they were friends. And I ended up becoming very good friends with his son. He liked to play basketball. I liked to play basketball. And um, that ended up solidifying the opportunities for the principal because I spent a lot of time with his son. So today I'm going to talk about how since he was three years younger than me, um, his father, the principal, and his wife asked me to spend the night at their house to babysit their son while they went to their daughter's prom because the principal always attended all the dances, etc. And it was prom night, and um, obviously everybody knows they go into the wee hours, especially back then we used to sign the um, D.A.R.E packed where, you know, we wouldn't do drugs or drink and we would just stay at the school all night long and and play games, etc. So I've been asked to spend the night to babysit. Um, I agree. Um, I was sick though. So pre-COVID clearly, um, (laughs) nobody wants you in their house, but but I was sick. I had some sort of bronchitis or something that I, I was getting over it, but I still had quite a cough. And I remember they got home very late. Uh, I want to say maybe 1, 1.30 in the morning. Um, and I was sleeping on their couch downstairs. Their son had already got, been to bed, you know, hours ago. And I couldn't seem to sleep. I just continued to cough due to uh, my bronchitis. So I don't obviously know what. Um, conversation took place in their bedroom, but instead of his wife 
coming down to check on me or to administer some sort of cough syrup to me, he chose to do it himself. So he came downstairs to the couch. I'm coughing, carrying on. He does. He did give me medicine. And then he sat with me and he rubbed my hair. And now you're talking two or three in the morning. And as I'm laying there trying to fall back asleep, you know, he starts um, fondling my breasts, touching my crotch, put his hands down my pajama pants, um, pulling my other free hand to his crotch. Once again, making me um, touch his groin area, albeit over his pants, etc. Um, so it was, it became routine for me, unfortunately. Uh, anytime that I was with him and somebody else wasn't in the, you know, direct vicinity, um, he would take the opportunity for sexual abuse. So <clears throat> my mother at this time, well, once the try, once my sister brought the, cr the crime to light, etc., cetera, um, my mother had kept a journal and unbeknownst to me, and she had some very interesting marked points in there stating that I had begun to um, disassociate from the family. I had begun to dress in a way that I later learned through therapy was called desexualization, basically wearing the baggiest clothes that I could. Um, trying to keep to myself, uh, not wanting to be in a room with my family for too long for fear that they would see all over my face what was happening because although you want uh, and I'm going to steal this from from somebody else who was sexually abused but he said this very very um, poignantly he said you want to scream from the mountaintop that something is wrong yet simultaneously you're terrified that the world is going to find out because that's the shame that it brings with it. So now, of course, you know, this in my brain, this is my fault. I have somehow seduced this man, this married man, um, who thinks he's in love with me because that's what he continued to tell me. And now I feel like I'm in this trapped space and I can't find my way out. And I can't find my way back to what my life was prior to the crime. And I'm also aware, like I mentioned in my last episode, that I am not the only special person in his world. But at that time, I had no clue. I just thought he was being nice and, and fatherly figured to, to those people. I thought there's no way he, he's going to be doing this to somebody else because it's, it's me that he loves and the, and the world won't understand how much he loves me because that's what he told me, etc. Um, but he certainly makes you believe that you are the only one. And I believed that for almost close to 30 years. I believe that. 
I basically, you know, had enough understanding when I became an adult that um, pedophiles don't just harm one child. However, he had me convinced for 30 years that it wasn't pedophilia, that it was a loving relationship that was just misunderstood. And so his manipulation led to me thinking that I was alone in the situation and that a crime really didn't take place, but that I was at fault for somehow saying or doing something that maybe led him to think that it was okay to do those things to me. And a lot of victims from the books that I've read and the therapy that I've had, they have to find ways to cope, of course. And apparently that was my way to cope all these years was to believe that I was not a victim, that this was not a crime that took place. This was just a misfortunate union of two people that was frowned upon by society because that's what he drilled into my head. So, um, <clears throat> so, and, and, and also no, I'm still going willingly to their house. I'm still, getting in the car willingly. I'm still getting up from my seat in social studies every time my name gets called over the loudspeaker because I don't know any different. I'm now programmed to do exactly what he wants me to do just as John Doe one through seven were. Um, I guess I don't really know what else to say about that. I'm just, just trying to to make you understand that now once you're in the throes of the sexual abuse, there's no picking or choosing. There's no, um, not on Tuesdays or, you know, only on Fridays. That's no, this is, this is your life now. And you're, you still have to go to math and you still have to go to science and you still have to go to basketball practice and you still have to try to navigate your life as a 13, 14 year old child. And once again, you're very aware that you are three steps or more behind the rest of the world, your friends, that something is very wrong. Something is very wrong and you don't know how to fix it. So that's all for today and Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll talk soon.